Hi everybody, it's Jamie, your friendly neighborhood dungeon manager. Before we start the episode, we just want to point out that The Witcher is a show that contains a lot of extreme violence, potentially sensitive themes, and has some visuals that some people might find troubling. And while we try to cover these things as sensitively as possible, sometimes our discussion might delve into some content that some listeners might find troubling. So we just wanted to let you know before we get started, but like I said, we do our best to keep it tasteful and respectful. And now, on to the episode. Hello, fantasy fans, and welcome to Swords and Satire the podcast where we turn low fantasy into high art. I'm your dungeon manager, Jamie Molkel, here with my magical co-hosts. I'm Chelsea Hollowell, a sentient lake that was just minding its own business. What? When a Chernobog pooped in me. No! And Rude. some other people splashed about on my banks. Oh, in the poop? And it was very rude. People just don't have any concept of personal space when it comes to bodies of water. Yeah. They're bodies of water. They deserve the, autonomy. The poop wasn't so bad. I'm regularly used to fish pooping in, in me, but... <laughs> <laughs> this kid is getting weird. Uh, I like it. <laughs> it was just rude when they didn't ask if they could get permission to step into the water. So you're saying the fish asked for permission. They live there. I am their home. <laughs> I'm just imagining Geralt seeing the Chernabog and Siri, look out, and the Chernabog's just like, oh, and just pooping in the <laughs> He could smell it. That's how he knew it was coming. Yes, oh you're God. right. It farted. He smelled the farts. It was crop dusting as it flew above them. <laughs> Every week we try to outgross our previous week. That's awesome. But who am I? Well, I'm Jack Olander, uh, a magical little bobble for coffee tables. Oh, very cool. Yeah. I thought it was wow. more like a magical ball and chain, because that's kind of more what it looks like. Oh, you should talk to my wife. <laughs> uh oh, I bet she's nice. Oh, she's great. <laughs> She is the coffee team. <laughs> oh, God, what? what? <laughs> oh, so she's supportive. No. <laughs> a mainstay. She's a mimic. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's kinky. <laughs> <laughs> this is getting weird. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to find a way to transition appropriately. <laughs> well, guys, we've got another episode of The Witcher to talk about, and you know what that means. We couldn't have an episode of The Witcher without having our special guest, Witcher correspondent. It's Casey, and I am a resurrected rose. Ooh. Oh, very cool. Yeah. I love that for you. I'm pretty pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> a kiss from the rose on, on the wind. The, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. I'm so glad you Baby. said the second part because I was like, what is it? What is it? No! I mean, in the song, it's on the grave. Oh. 
I thought it was on the grave. Is it I on the grave? I believe you. I believe it's on the grave. On yeah. the grave. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> on the grave. I don't think that was singing right. It's like, baby. Oh, God. Hey, bloodshots. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I forget how we start this show. That's We're okay. It's, always, it's always the wrong thing. Yeah. Okay. That's right. Now, Casey... Some listeners might not know, but you're actually not just a special Witcher correspondent, but you're actually one of our patrons. A special patron. Yeah. I have my own special tier. (laughs) (laughs) I made the logo. Yeah. That is true. It's an amazing logo. It's the most polished part of our podcast. (laughs) By a country mile. (laughs) So, yeah. First off, everyone. Take a look at our logo for our show, which is awesome, and Casey designed it for us. And then head on over to patreon.com slash swords and satire and make yourself cool like Casey and become one of our patrons. Yeah, there's a bunch of tiers for you to pick from to fit your budget, and we would really appreciate the support. The more, the better. Yeah. Agreed. (laughs) Besides supporting your just your your just favorite podcasters, uh, you could also get fun wacky stuff like our outtakes, which there have already been several this episode. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> undoubtedly. So you have to find them there to know what it was. That's right. We also come up with wacky rewrites or spinoffs or sequels in our rewriting history segment. Very epic, very cool, very pog. And uh, the, the, sometimes there's a duck swimming on through. Once in a while we get some ducks. Are we going to get a Geralt duck anytime soon, Jack? Oh, yes. That would be amazing. It's 60% through completion at this very moment. Very oh, yes. nice. And you can also vote on a movie we watch each month. Pretty cool. I don't see any reason that every listener shouldn't be signing up right now. (laughs) That particular perk is our Patreon poll. Right. All right. Well, enough shameless self-promotion. Guys, let's talk about The Witcher Season 2, Episode 6. And it's named after how I feel about all of you because this episode is called Dear Friend. Aww. Wait a minute, in the context of the episode, and I'm not going to th- overthink it too much. <gasps> I I thought that the episode was called Balls of Fire, and I thought it would be really funny if you had said, this episode makes me think of you guys. Because it's called Balls of Fire. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, before we get into a big discussion about it, we should probably remind the listeners what happens in this episode. Makes sense. So this is the episode when Siri and Geralt head out of Kaer Morhen in search of a better place to hole up, to seek refuge, and they're, they they kind of talk about how there's no real safe place for them to go. Uh, but they do go over there to the temple of uh, Melitele, 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 one of those. It depends on if you're listening to the audiobook or watching the show. Right. And Nenica is the head priestess of the temple. On the way, they ran into a Chernabog and a dear friend was killed. No! I can't take it. Poor Roach. I know. 
But uh, Geralt just like downed a poison, or not a poison. (laughs) (laughs) It would be a poison to anybody else. You're not wrong. A potion. And uh, he dispatched of the Chernobyl pretty easily after making Siri bait. (laughs) (laughs) Now, important detail here. Something that we addressed in a previous episode. Siri tells Geralt that she doesn't think the Chernobyl was trying to hurt her. True. But, uh, so at the temple, they're tracked down by the firefucker mage. Reince. Reince. Thank you. I did not. I only remembered firefucker. I I don't know why you'd bother remembering any other name for him. He's brought a gang with him. He thinks he's going to take Siri. It's going to be super easy. And she hits somebody with a big rock. (laughs) (laughs) And then Geralt... Fights them with a chair and Ard, the sigil. And the firefucker, Rince, <laughs> has Siri and another friend holed up in a room. A dear friend. A dear friend. And uh, that dear friend ends up getting Siri to create a portal. And Geralt sees Yen taking off with Siri through the portal right at the end. And he looks betrayed. That that was the dear friend. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. But speaking of this Yennefer person, what was she up to this episode? Well, I'm here to tell you. What the heck is she doing at that temple? She's been tempted by the dark bidding of the Night Mother. Yes. Yep. Haven't we all? Is that her name, the, the Night Mother? The Deathless Mother. The Deathless Mother. The Night Mother's from Skyrim. Uh, That's true. Silence, brother. yeah there you go and so she's made her way across the continent to the temple where siri is and uh she's planning on yoinking that child and that means kidnapping that child (laughs) instead of being open and honest with Geralt and siri she just just (laughs) abducts that's right it turns out that conversation with yaskir was the only therapy she needed to feel better about her relationship with Geralt, because on first sight they're in love again yeah i mean you really can't blame either of them yes they're just so hot they can't not be in love i mean isn't there like literally a spell or something that she has to be in love with him I mean, I think that's open to debate. But okay. <laughs> I still don't know what goes on with that. She potentially is forced to be in love with him, but she doesn't have to be happy about it. But in this one, she is. <laughs> wow. Yes. And uh, she and Geralt, they have just a great old time. And when Rince shows up, well, it's sort of becoming more obvious she doesn't have her magic. But yes. luckily, Ciri's getting magic. <laughs> Yeah, they were having too good of a time together, uh, Siri, Geralt, and Yennefer, when they were hanging out in the temple. Like, it couldn't last for too long. It wouldn't be this show if they got to have a good time. <laughs> Sadly, that seems to be the case. It's true. We can't kill that elf from the last episode more than once. So something else <laughs> bad had to happen. So she tricked Siri into teleporting them both into the Deathless Mother's hut. Very clever and evil. Possibly. We don't exactly know where they went. Yeah. Could have been there. Yes. And, uh, yeah, she she regretted it, but... Did she? Well, uh, she regretted having to hurt Geralt. Yeah. She seemed apologetic. Yeah. There was remorse. But no mercy. Right. 
She wants to bone down, but she wants her magic back a little bit more. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, Yen has another dear friend who isn't Geralt, who's been busy in this episode, and that dear friend is Istrid. Now, Istrid is on his way to a little magic shop to try to find out what's going on with these monoliths, what's the deal with Siri, all of this magic wizard stuff. So he goes to meet the most important character we've ever met in the show up to this point, Esmeralda, the orange floofy tabby who is just the cutest cat of all time, and also her, I guess, compatriots, Codringer and Fen, the bookstore slash proprietors of magic shop folk. So Istrid is having a little chat with Codringer and Fen. They're very magical types, little mysterious, little... Uh... <laughs> They're magical types. <laughs> said. Yeah, you, you like get it. quirky old couple. Yeah. They obviously get off on research. <laughs> I mean... And being based. holding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. So over the course of their research, they do a little bit of looking into an old prophecy written in Elder, I believe, about how the elves have a weapon that is going to destroy humankind. But Fen realizes that weapon isn't exactly a little literal translation. It's more that there's a warrior. That right. is going to bring down humanity. And that warrior is actually tied to the bloodline of Queen Calanthe. So, is it okay to practice eugenics if you're an elf and fantasy? No. Okay. No, it's not. <laughs> Thanks for clearing that up. You're welcome. So, it's pretty <laughs> obvious that the prophecy has something to do with Siri, and it might be why Siri's magic is so fucking strong. Because... After ten generations, this, let's say, curse that is going to destroy humanity is going to make itself known. Right. And it's pretty interesting that up to this point, Siri has been kind of outrageously powerful. So, probably her. Probably her. Yeah. When she toppled, she revealed to Geralt, Siri did, that when she toppled that monolith the first time, she was afraid, but also anger anger and anger but also angry and that's kind of freaky yep in a scary you know piss my pants kind of way (laughs) uh and then over back at uh zintrea uh in the last episode kahir had uh come back and so um now with kahir kind of back he you know he shaved off his luxurious beard and we see fringilla becoming subordinate to him again a little bit and Mm. francesca is trying to encourage fringilla to maintain her power and not become subordinate to kihir um we also see the elves training with the nilfgaard soldiers for uh their upcoming war against the northern cities because they are trying to i think just take over Oh, they're going to sweep all through the north. I think they're in an expansionist uh, agenda. Yeah, so that's their goal right now. They're just Uh, feeling a little expansy. (laughs) Go get them, folks. (laughs) Francesca uh, gives birth to her baby, who actually turns out to be stillborn at first. Um, But then 
Frangilla holds the baby and it appears as though the baby is resurrected. It starts breathing and crying. Um, and then the final scene that we have uh, is, with these guys is that Frangilla and Kahir are talking together and it sounds like the white flame is coming to Zintrea and we are yeah. not sure what that means if he's happy, angry, gonna take over. Right. You know, it's and, a da da And we see Frangilla feeling that uncertainty quite poignantly. Yeah, because it's been implied over this episode that her um, relationship with the elves might be kind of like a side quest for... <laughs> yes, uh, I was thinking Yeah, that. <laughs> like a side quest rather than like the main plot for the White Flame. Yeah. You know, the White Flame's probably feeling a little like, this was not uh, what I was trying to do here. Yeah. Um. So, you know, I think Frangilla sees this working as a means to both ends. Um, um, as a means of helping the elves achieve what they want, but also as a means of developing an army to help take down the North. Um, but uh, we'll see what the White Flame thinks about that. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, that was a very concise and I'm sure easy to follow summary. <laughs> Why don't we head into the Delve? Welcome to the Delve, where we venture deep into the themes, scenes, and lore of The Witcher. Now, guys, if I'm not mistaken, I think last episode we said, girl boss, no matter the cost. Yep. So we've got, I would say, two primo girl bosses in Frangilla and Francesca. They're doing their thing, showing that they're powerful enough to lead nations, that together they're going to be strong enough to kind of, at the same time, push forward Nilfgaard's agenda of expanding into the north in the name of the White Flame, maybe, and also to lead the elves on their kind of revitalized... Their revival quest. Yeah, their, their, <laughs> thank you, their revival quest. Their, yeah. their opportunity to, for one, to start to bring back their population, which is represented by Francesca having a successful pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Question mark and birth and birth and in the elves' willingness to follow Francesca, which we see kind of through the lens of Philavandrel, who was kind of the de facto king of the elves up to this point, and even he in this episode says that he is willing to basically bend the knee to Francesca and do anything he can to push forward her agenda. Now, I'm not sure I 100% believe that he is all in the way he's saying he is, but he is at least making those motions towards Francesca's leadership for the time being. I mean, just to touch on that real quick, I believe it. I mean, in his, in the way he's emoting his feelings around her and others, he seems to be all in. Maybe. And he is very excited about the birth of Francesca's child, which I think he is the father based on the way Francesca told him to stick around because it's his place. Francesca certainly wants Philavandrel to believe that he's the father, at the very least. Sure. Um, I think it is. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, we've never had sex, but I guess it is. (laughs) Listen, it's immaculate. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god, did they just give birth to elf Jesus? (laughs) If he's faking, it's to also fool the audience. So we'll see. <laughs> I do think he expresses some, some like I guess, concern or doubt about if 
their ultimate goal of restarting their nation will be successful, but he does not express doubt around supporting Francesca. Right. Um, he did up to this point, but this episode he kind of went on the old 180. Yeah, it's true. I think in the first episode when she before she had seen the Witch of the Woods, um, he was like, I don't know. I mean, she yeah. says that she's got direction, but I don't really know if I buy it. Uh, Jack, I, I can tell you're dying to say something. No, it's not about this. Okay. <laughs> it's the fact I just realized for the first time what immaculate conception means. It's like, you know, the baby happened from nothing, but it means like untainted. Yeah. Yeah. By yes. sex. Because dicks defile. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong. <laughs> they can be hype, considering circumstances. But, uh... <laughs> No dick shaming is what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No dick shaming. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm saying that old Christian folklore of dicks defile is. Uh, I'm just remembering. The, I'm just yeah. remembering the line in Midsummer that the guy's like, "Get your filthy dick away from my ancestors." Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I, that. I really want disgusting dick. I really want. I love a, that so much. A skit of the bishops coming up with how to translate the Bible and like immaculate conception. Well, why is it that? Well, dicks defile everything, and one bishop just being like, "Actually, I think they can be quite, uh, quite nice." <laughs> <laughs> what man just just saying <laughs> we got the story of the virgin birth and the church's hatred of homosexuality all in one story yeah. there you go <laughs> but let's talk about Frangilla and francesca's friendship and yeah. then that can help us understand where all of these characters are at with their alliance and kind of feeling vulnerability in this episode i also I think one of the things I really like about their friendship is that they they try to encourage and support each other. And, I mean, we saw this in the last episode, but we especially saw it in this episode when Frangilla is starting to, like, make herself small around Kahir. And Francesca is telling her, like, don't do that. Like, my people, you know, believing you. Like, you are the person they see when they get off the boat and arrive at Zentrea and see yeah. freedom in this city. Like, you are the one who did this. You are worthy of, you know, championing this, like, cause, basically. Don't don't diminish yourself. Um, and Fran Frangilla explains that this is kind of the way that she was trained. Yeah, that's um, what I was thinking. Yeah, that, like, the way she learned to kind of manipulate politics is by making herself small to make other people feel powerful and right. controlling so them in a subordinate position. Exactly, so she can be in control without having to be the figurehead, basically. Yeah. Well, at Era 2, though, the major, they're trained to be the power behind the throne who is uh, manipulating things in the shadows. Yeah. You could you could say it's it's sort of like the role of a power bottom to yeah. <laughs> top from the bottom. Yeah, perfect yeah. analogy. <laughs> yeah, but I I think we also get a sense that Frangilla is not a fan of having to give up the like honor and acknowledgement that goes with being the person who people you know say that she is responsible for this like amazing feat or she is the leader and that power comes along with getting the chance to be empowered and follow her own agenda 
And that seems to be benefiting a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, and I think There's certainly too, a lot of elves. She's they're people she's too. Feeling a little bit like she's losing her sense of kind of control and power as Kahir arrives, but then we definitely see her look kind of panicked when she finds out the white flame is coming because that's even further this like person who's much more powerful than she is coming in and potentially like overtaking or overruling her. Um, which I think is like really frustrating when she's really trying to establish herself and 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 create a a sense of power for herself. It's also exceptionally distressing because the Deathless Mother's prophecy was that Fringilla was going to have her power stripped. Right. Or that they would try to take it from her, wasn't it? And her freedom. Yeah. Yeah. And Fringilla's vision of the Deathless Mother is uh, through the lens of it being a mirror. So she clearly has a tense relationship there. Yeah. And, you know, it, it is it... A prophecy or perhaps a warning to her. Right. I think it's also interesting because Amir, she even says it in this episode, like he is responsible for kind of like unchaining her and giving her this freedom and giving her this power and giving her station. Um, he has kind of helped her rise up to a certain point, but now the the tables might be turning. And if Amir shows up and suddenly decides like, oh, I don't like what you're doing here. And also right. you can't be in charge. He's going to dethrone her. And if you're saying like the, the witch of the woods was like, oh, they want to come and take your power. Like if they tried to do that, that's kind of like this inverse of what happened. And she might no longer see the white flame as being someone who saved her, but rather someone who is trying to like, take something from her. Subjugate yeah. her. Subjugate her is a good way to explain it. I yeah. get the feeling that Fringilla was kind of thinking like, you know what? I'm going to be here in Zentrea. The White Flame is off in Nilfgaard. We're going to be in charge. Yeah. Everything's going to be good. Yeah. With this authority figure coming in, that, mm -hmm. like, she already felt pushed down a rung by Kahir being back because Kahir's a noble. And, and he expects to just slot back into his old place of power. Exactly. And she is expected to follow that. We're talking about a very rigid hierarchy that yes. they're used to. Even though the White Flame's rhetoric is about liberation, we know that it's a very much about a strict hierarchy because the White Flame, Amir, is at the top and he has his mm -hmm. court and people like Kahir who are higher up on the food chain according to their system. So every time one of these people shows up, Fringilla is watching her role get pushed down. Yeah. And also seeing, like, I think that she was expecting to have this power kind of shared with Francesca. Mm -hmm. And she's probably seeing, like, if Amir decides that he doesn't like working with the elves... Yeah, he's going to ruin this thing that I've established. Exactly. He's already... And Kahir has already kind of paid lip service to being in support of this agenda, mm -hmm. but then is openly hostile to some of the elves in one yeah. scene. Yeah. He's like, oh, I like what you're doing here with the elves, but it's sort of a distraction, right? Yeah. It'll be a useful tool, but we're actually here for Siri, so, right. like, get your head back in the game, kind of. I don't think Fringilla really cares about Amir's agenda beyond what it is like what freedoms it has afforded her up to this point. I think her focus is mostly just the idea that they are going to bring like good freedom and happiness and peace or whatever at least that's what she believes and 
And that is something she's trying to do with the elves. So I think for her, it feels very in line with what their kind of dogma is or what their belief system is. Yes, she sees their two agendas as one. Yeah, and it sounds like uh, Kahir and potentially Amir, God, these names. Yeah. uh, Kahir and Amir might Fringilla and Francesca you know feel one way or be saying one thing but then maybe their main agenda is finding this insanely powerful child yeah um and who knows what they intend to do with her once they find her I mean Fringilla might know for all we know that's true I, I'm not sure she doesn't seem that motivated by it but that no doesn't necessarily mean she doesn't know what's going on right another thing about Fringilla that we learned uh, you said it well, the freedoms it's afforded her. Did we already mention it sounded like she was imprisoned when the usurper was in power? Yeah. She was either in prison. Yeah, she might have been she imprisoned was... or at least like in a very, very subservient role where she had no power. It really. sounded like she was stripped of her power and potentially being used for sex. Yeah. Very possible, yeah. yeah. And so I think that this kind of storyline is very important that it is being told about and through a woman's perspective because it's not just about someone wanting to gain power on their own and then losing it the entire storyline of fringilla i think is like really interwoven with this kind of like feminist discussion about how women are able to take power how women are perceived when in power how people will try to uh, liberate them and then subjugate them and uh, be like, well, look, I gave you these things, but now you have to work for me. Now you have to do this for me. Now yeah. you have to... Um, it's and, okay for them to have power as long as they answer to somebody else. Yeah, and I think, too, like, this was mentioned in a previous episode when Fringilla and Yennefer were talking to each other because I think they were kind of doing a tit-for-tat of, like, white flame versus brotherhood type yeah. thing and which which kind of patriarchal construct is the better of (laughs) two evils or whatever. Um, Because we definitely get the sense that the Brotherhood is incredibly patriarchal. We know this. They force them to uh, force women to remove their uterus eye. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh, Uterasia? Yeah, in order to like become mages, they force them to become quote-unquote prettier. Um, Right. You know, and then even, like, they're expected to kind of never take credit for anything. And I think that's, like, a huge thing. We see this, you know, as we mentioned before, Frangilla is trying to, has been trained to, like, manipulate as, like, in a subservient role. But I think also Yen was kind of asked to not take credit for her, like... Uh, absolute domination on the battlefield. Um, <laughs> right. So that Tissaia and another mage, I forget what the other mage's name was, but so that they can make a run Vilgefort. for the seat. Vilgefort. That's right. <laughs> uh, can make a run for the seat um, in the Brotherhood. So there's like constant scenes where these women are being told to downplay their roles, their power, their intelligence their uh you know like um treaties their like i guess charisma or whatever and you know and this really fits in with your theme that you're talking about because it wasn't necessarily to say and vilgefortz to say it was backing vilgefortz mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. A, a male he was the exactly. one who was trying to be he was, wasn't to say yeah. trying to get the seat yeah she was backing him getting a higher mm-hmm. seat mm-hmm. and she thought he would support 
her getting more power. Yeah. She was hopeful that he would. Yeah. And besides the obvious issues with that, we also, as an audience, know that Vilgefortz is not exactly fully on the up and up, as we saw in last season when he kind of mercilessly murdered one of their own troops. Like, I feel like the show has been planting the seeds that you can't really trust Vilgefortz. And they, like, nothing's been resolved with that so far. I just keep waiting for something to come up about that. I need a reminder, a refresher, because I don't remember After he fights the, um... Doppler. Oh, after after Vilgefortz fights Kahir, he, like, teleports away, and he goes down, um... He, like, gets knocked down a hill, actually, and then he sees one of their dying Brotherhood soldiers. He's like, oh, Vilgefortz, you're like, I'm going to be okay. And he just fucking murders this dude. Yep. Just smashes him with a mace just out of nowhere. Doesn't oh, say wow. anything to him. Just kills him. Just fucking murders one of their own soldiers. Oh, wow. I don't remember that at all. I so got to go like, watch that scene. Oh, yeah. we can't trust this guy. Is he a double agent? We don't know yet. Nothing's been really resolved with yeah. that. He could just be completely like his own... Like, working towards his own ends, but yeah. he's got some darkness going on. Got it. Yeah. But his eyeliner is so good. Oh, I know. You, you, that justifies everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so another thing with um, Francesca and Frangilla's friendship and and being allies is that, you know, they are supportive to one another. They support one another's agendas and... They're allies by being open and honest and, like, having open communication between one another. But also sharing resources, which can be information, too. Yes. Besides the open communication, like, sharing secrets. hmm And Francesca is openly using an ancient kind of basic form of elven magic by resurrecting roses, just kind of casually as they're walking along. And Fringilla is fascinated by this. She's, she asks her, what is this form of magic? I've never seen it before. And it brings life back to things. Nilfgaard, under Amir, is a death cult. And they practice necromancy. Mm. And so Fringilla is kind of all about that form of magic. And a big theme in this episode is finding balance, seeking balance. Mm -hmm. And so we see Fringilla getting another view into another form of magic that she might be able to tap into and in terms of, like, life-giving magic. But do you see this as being different from the necromantic magic? I think it is. Yes. Okay. It, it usually has to do with death and decay. Well, necromantic the, magic. The rose was already dying, though, right? So they yes. revived a dying thing. Uh, Francesca. <laughs> but did. they didn't make a zombie rose, we don't think. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, Francesca revived it, and she just describes it as... Finding a place of warmth within her. Yes. And she realized that she could do this after her mother passed. And she wanted to preserve a rose because it reminded her of her mother. Mm -hmm. And um, it's really interesting how Fringilla kind of focuses on this. Mm -hmm. And it really seems to have an impact on her. And it goes along with her feeling empowered. There's other pathways out there. There's other yeah, forms of magic. That's a good point. Yeah. There's other things she can do with her time, other ways that she can find support and seek her own power mm-hmm. than just following the white flame. Yeah. And and everything they teach. And we see this at the end 
of the episode when Francesca gives birth to a stillborn child. And Frangilla takes it to the wash basin. They wash it. She's holding it and she's just kind of speaking to it and hoping for it to come back. She's pleading with the child to come back. Mm-hmm. And you or is she casting a spell? You get the sense that she might be casting a spell, and it seems very instinctual. It seems like she's trying to do the thing that Francesca had told her it's about. It's true. You really yeah. get that clear sense that she's trying to draw on some kind of warmth from within, and that's yeah. exactly what she says to Philavandrel when he asks, oh, what form of magic did you use? Was it necromancy? And she just says, it was just warmth. I just provi- I just felt yep. the warmth or something. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought that was really neat the way she's kind of learning other yeah. ways of being. That's really interesting. I didn't think of that. Yeah. I just want to tie a nice little bow on this section that brings together everything we've been talking about. Because part of Francesca's story about using her life magic to bring back the rose is that when her father saw it. He attacked her. Right. And tried to kill her. And tried to turn her whole people against her. Exactly. So this is calling back to the patriarchal systems that have oppressed women in this world. He is, the father is afraid of Francesca's life-giving magic. He's intimidated and, and probably nervous about what this could mean for his place in the family, his power structure. It means she will be harder to control. Exactly. I think it's also interesting that she is literally giving life, like, by having yeah. a baby. Right. And then she's also a person who apparently has this ability to, like, just revive things. And yeah. Give life. And I don't want to overstate a point, but I think that we could read into the fact that this show has a female showrunner, that we get these really, I think, good looks at patriarchal power structures and how women find their way in them and like the tension that is inherent to those power dynamics. We get these relationships between female characters that a lot of times you don't see in big shows like this. And again, I don't want to overstate the point, but I think that there is potentially a significance to the fact that the showrunner is a woman and probably we have a writer's room that is, I'm I'm assuming has more women in it than a lot of other shows might. And we get these really interesting looks into these gendered power dynamics. Mm-hmm. Also, before we leave the, the Queens, <laughs> uh, I want to give a shout out to an epic moment in oh, this episode. Nice. When Francesca and Philavandrel are holding their baby, Fringilla is so psyched. That she walks into the hallway and turns to all of the elves that are waiting outside. And she's like, guess what? There's a new baby. And everyone (laughs) just starts losing their mind. She does seem pretty psyched. We see the biggest smile on her face. She's so psyched. I need to rewatch this scene because I was writing notes and I think I missed some of that. And I love Frangilla's smile. I think her smile looks so earnest. Yes. So genuine. She I think and it wants glowing. to do good. It she really was that. in that moment, like yeah. just radiant. And yeah. I you get the sense that like she hasn't felt like that maybe almost ever. Yeah. And it's not just her. The elves, this is the first pure blood elf born in however long. Yeah, long time. Yeah. And 
the people in the background like throw up their arms and like start hugging each other and it's like a full celebration it's very hopeful it's awesome the baby is a symbol for everyone of hope I'm so curious if this baby is a prophesied baby and if there's any... <laughs> Every baby I'm in this like, show is a prophecy what baby. What wild shit is going to happen with this fucking baby? Because yeah. this baby's got to be a special this baby. This baby's getting a spinoff series. This baby's going to pull like a Twilight Yesame or whatever the fuck that baby is. Oh, God, don't let it happen. Oh, develop uh, into like a 15-year-old in three weeks. Oh, God. And then... Oh, God. <laughs> And then Kahir's going to imprint on it. Oh, oh Jesus. Oh, Jesus. No, I don't want this. I'm sorry. Let's move on. The yeah. darkness. There's yeah. a lot to talk about. They're just so great characters. If only I could forgive Frangilla for being a fucking monster. Honestly, uh, no. I, She's think, great. She's I think great. that we don't have She time. turned people into fireballs. Okay. Uh, people have... turn themselves. <laughs> okay, fine. Now, guys, we have... Other big stuff we've got to talk about here because this is the episode where we finally get that reunion between Geralt and Yennefer. They thought each other were dead or lost up to this point, and now they are kind of thrust back together in what I'd say are in some awkward circumstances where they weren't expecting to see each other, and they both had their own motives for coming to Nenica's temple. And they're realizing that their intentions might be pulled in new directions once they see each other. Yeah, but you also really see the love they have for each other on their faces. It's pretty plain. I think even so. Though I mean, they, it's certainly lost. Even I, I, though they don't feel like like they're both fully being honest with one another, you, you can tell they're holding back a little bit. Mm-hmm. They also... Um, just really genuinely feel strongly about one another. I would argue this might be the first scene that I've seen them in where their um, attraction to each other and their, like, care for one another felt real. Yeah. Mm. I really struggled to believe that in their kind of romance, probably because I felt like their romance was built on a very bizarre... You're not wrong. ...written... (laughs) tumultuous load of crap it's like basically like you know san francisco it's just built on a pile of garbage (laughs) um and it just kept getting more and more garbage stacked on top of it and then they built buildings and so that's like their relationship um but weirdly in this scene i felt very compelled to like I mean, this might be the first time we've seen Geralt smile genuinely yeah! when he's sitting there with his little family of yeah. Yen and Siri. I wanted their family to go on for longer, yeah. and I am mad yeah. that they didn't spend longer at the temple. Yeah. yeah, they really teased you with this. Yeah. Except they weren't all there, because Yaskir is still off somewhere. Oh, the... The fourth wheel, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Technically, Siri's never met Yaskier, has she? Uh, I don't think so. Yeah, she's yeah. not having dreams about Yaskier. He doesn't. I am. Yes, <laughs> I love Yaskier. Good. But I think though that like that kind of quiet moment at the temple where they're all kind of sitting together and it's like quite charming and very yeah. simple and kind yes. of provincial. It was exactly what. Yennefer's dream was it is. from that yes. first scene uh, in the one of the episodes. The first episode of the season, <laughs> I, think, I, right? I think, right? Or second? second? I think it, is it the second? Okay, could be the third. This, uh, Let's say fourth. Just a, 
No, it's yeah, it's basically that kind of like homey mm-hmm. type vibe. And I was thinking, like, man, this is kind of what she wants, and and it was challenging to think that she might try to throw that out when that's exactly what she was trying to find. Yeah, it's kind of heartbreaking that Yen wants contentment with somebody she loves, like Geralt. But she wants her magic back just a little bit more. Yeah, I don't I mean, know for sure. I'm pretty convinced that she's taking Siri to the Deathless Mother. We were saying in the other episode that really what she longs for is a simple life because mm-hmm. that's what she had mm-hmm. in her dreams. Yeah. But she is so traumatized from her past that she can't give up this kind of driving need to feel powerful and in control. I agree. And that pushes her to kind of be blinded to what she truly wants. But I think the reason why she feels like she needs power is not just because she's power hungry, it's because she needs to feel safe. Oh, I agree. I 100% agree. agree. There's actually, like, a lot in this about, Mm -hmm. like, this like longing or desire to feel safety and to feel security in this episode and just in the show in general. She also wants to be important to someone. Yeah. And she already knows that she has that with Geralt, but for some reason it's not enough. Well, she has a lot of hesitation about her relationship with Geralt because of the genie wish that Geralt made to save her. She is kind of always got this question about whether or not she cares about him because she genuinely cares about him or if she got magically influenced to care about him. Another reason why she was skeptical at that moment was because her last relationship with Istrid was betrayed as well. But yeah. Built upon a falsehood. Yeah. I understand um, Yen's issues and concerns for sure. She's yeah. been traumatized a lot of times. Yeah, She ha- doesn't feel like she's ever had a relationship where somebody truly cared about her needs yeah. and who just who she is yeah. just for herself or that they like weren't trying to get something out of her. Uh, Geralt took Siri away from her parents. So Yen, is ta- Yen can take Siri away from her <laughs> new parents. That makes it okay? Is that it's how just that the trend. Oh boy. This is a troubling world. Yes. Yeah, and um, Siri, I don't think she fully knows what Yen is leading her towards. She just thinks that they're trying to escape from the firefucker. Oh, yeah, I, mean, I, don't, I don't think Siri has any yeah. idea what's she's, going yeah. on. She's no clue. Yeah. She's just like, oh, like, you're a powerful maid. Like, because she kind of says, like, oh, you're supposed to be this powerful mage. And Yen's like, well, it's complicated right now. But at the same time, Siri is seeing somebody who can train her to use her power. And we also know that much like Yen, Siri wants to feel powerful. She's felt powerless her whole life. They're kind of a reflection of each other in that regard. She also wants more than what she's getting out of her relationship with Geralt. He cares more about Siri than I think Siri understands. But he's protective of her and she feels like that is going to be a limiting factor for her. Yeah, she does complain about that to Nenica. And both these things can be true. Like, Geralt can be protective and think he's doing the best for her, and Ciri can 
want to be protected, but also want to be powerful and feel like Geralt is stifling her. Right. I think she also mentions some of the people in her life who have cared a lot for her um, and really shown her a lot of love, but in a lot of ways, like, hindered her from knowing who she was. And right. uh, some of those people include her grandmother, Queen Calanthe, who never told her anything about her blood lineage and right. like actively despised elves. And then another person was Malsack. Who, who she talks about in this episode. Yeah, she says died defending her. And so she's got a lot of these people in her life who I think care a lot about her, but I think she's never had anyone trust that she can handle knowing the truth about herself. Yeah. And she's never had anyone just be tender with her, really. I mean, I think that her grandma was tender with her, but she still never trusted her to like know her truth i mean her grandma was a real fucking uh like rager too so everybody around her is withholding in vital information from yeah. her she even and says that about mausak in this episode yeah. that he never told her what she was they think they're doing it to protect her but in the end they're kind of just putting her more in danger because she yeah. doesn't understand her own true nature and who she can and can't trust she keeps ending up getting into these dangerous situations. This is also, I think, a real thing that happens with kids when they have overly protective family members who try mm -hmm. to hide information from them. And yeah. then when they have an opportunity to have an experience that they've had hidden from them, they are really compelled to try to have that experience, whatever it may be. I think the other... well. I mean, the flip side is, like, if you try to protect someone from something to the point where you're not informing them about something, when they finally experience it, it is really traumatizing. Yeah. Like, it is insanely traumatizing. And we definitely see Siri experience an unlike parallel level of trauma from season one yeah. till now. Like, so many people around her have died. She has no yeah. idea why. People kidnapped her. She has no fucking clue why. Like, someone pretended to be her, you best know, friend, basically. Her best <laughs> friend, yeah. And then, like, kidnapped her. And, like, she's just gone from place to place to place having these horrifying, tra traumatizing experiences because no one would just be honest with her about what was going on. Yeah. Because everybody claims they're trying to, quote, unquote, protect her. And I think that, like... She's struggling with this now. She's struggling to to deal with, like, how does she tell other people about what she is? She doesn't even know what she is. How does yeah. she... Do and she's scared to share information because she's never been taught to communicate anything yeah. like that. You know, like, she's she's been taught that the way that you talk about things is you don't talk yeah. about things. Yeah. And then she's with Geralt, who also doesn't really talk about things. Yeah. And, you know, it's so clear that she just craves, like... Like an open, honest, vulnerable interaction with someone. And she definitely was getting, you know, a little bit of that fulfilled with Triss. But then Triss freaked out at her because she, like, they did that, that I don't know what to call it, but that, like, spell together. Yeah. Where she right. saw, like, Ciri's bloodline. It uh, was like a divinatory spell. Yeah. The Doldusha. The yeah. Valley of the Soul. Yeah. Jesus. And then Triss was like, psych, you are You're dangerous. actually kind of spooky. Yeah. Oh. And Siri's like, why, though? Yeah. Like, what is it? And she's like, you're going to destroy us all. 
please don't say that. Another person I learned to trust is abandoning me. Basically, (laughs) exactly. And at the beginning of this episode, Siri even says, like, they're leaving Kaer Morhen. She says, we were safe in Kaer Morhen. Why are we leaving? She doesn't understand because nobody's telling her, like, Mm -hmm. what the deal is. And she keeps getting dragged and she feels like she has no autonomy. If Yen gives her any, like, indication that she has a choice... Siri's going to instantly go along with whatever she says, even if Yen is leading her down a dangerous path. I was worried about that. (laughs) Oh, and we also can tell that, like, Siri is so scared. Like, she's just, this is exactly the way that traumatized children, I mean, anybody traumatized acts, is, like, they're terrified, and she's, like, always trying to watch her back, always freaking out, always unsure of her surroundings. They walk into this temple and Geralt is like, it's cool, we're fine. You know, I've been here before, everybody's chill. There's no political agendas, you're gonna be fine. And so he hands off his, like, swords or whatever to uh, someone who comes up and, you know, takes them to the other room. And Siri looks fucking petrified. She's like, you just, you just gave... you know like she's so clearly just in this perpetual state of terror and she's not getting any support in that feeling she's not you know Geralt is really good at training her how to fight he's really good at training and helping her be strong but he's not good at the like let's talk about your trauma (laughs) well I mean because Geralt is not good at that with himself no, either. And no. Geralt is really good at fighting. Yeah. Geralt is not good yeah. at feeling. Yeah. <laughs> true. You know, it makes sense. Siri lost her home, her foundation. Yeah. She has no framework with which to understand herself yeah. and where she fits in. Yeah. And no sense of security anywhere she goes. I mean, look, she shows up at the temple of Melatelli and firefucker shows up and starts yep. murdering her new yeah. friend she's and told, she's told this is a safe place yeah. and the first thing that happens the first night they're there is like murder she, more murder yep more people here to kidnap her for her like murder specifically for her you know in the uh, pursuit of finding her so it's like just this really traumatizing thing and and we definitely see um what was it neneki then Neneki. Neneki. Neneki saying to Geralt, like, you need to find a balance between, like, training her, but also providing her with this, like, I guess, like, emotional support or emotional nourishment. And I think the implication there is that if you don't provide her with the emotional aspect, you are going to get the violent killer that she is prophesied to be. Right. You know, like, you you want to do right. You want to protect her. You want to ensure that, like... She's not a ticking time bomb, but you're not going to do that just by giving her a sword and teaching her how to kill things. It's true. And um, we kind of get to learn a little bit about her history when Istrid is researching it with uh, Codringer and Finn. Um, and Esmeralda. Right. Uh, we learn that these abilities that Siri has were coded into her DNA by ancient elven ancestors. Uh, we don't learn why, except that it... Revenge against humans. Yes. And who can blame them? <laughs> and it must have happened sometime after the last conjunction of the spheres, or meeting of the spheres, as Istrid is mm-hmm. kind of referring to it now. 
Um, well, this is probably when the humans came and right. basically tried to genocide the elves. Yeah, and so it's a form of revenge. It's a cycle of hatred, and Neneke was talking to Siri about, like, maybe you have the potential to break this cycle. Yeah, it doesn't have to keep being the same thing over and over again, but she's only going to have the power to do that if she gets more love and support. And we've talked before about how, like, her experiences have been kind of so different from Yennefer's experiences as a young mage um, that she is fortunately not abused in the same way that Yennefer is, but she's still dealing with immense amounts of trauma. Yeah. And that she's had kind of the opposite up to this point. Yeah. Or not up to this point, up to like the beginning of the series. It's true. She had the sheltered life where yeah. Yen had the very yeah. hard scrabble but life. But still, this trauma is really damaging and if they don't find a way to help teach her to like you know feel her feelings but also like um not get overwhelmed in revenge and uh anger and hatred then you know that that's that's what they need to do and Geralt does seem like he does not want her to go down that revenge path. That's why he took her to this temple. And he keeps saying that to her, because in the fir like the first line, practically, of the episode, he says, oh, you want to kill yourself becoming a mutant, and if you survive, you could kill yourself trying to get revenge. Like, he's like, <laughs> clearly does not want her to do that. But, yeah. like, I think he is having a hard time because he's just going with the stern, like, don't do that method, which, like... Do as I say, not as I do. And also, he has no idea what he's doing. Yeah, like, it, <laughs> This is, you know, like, sometimes parenting involves more than just telling someone not to do something. You have to really discourage the feeling by think, providing them something else. Yeah. Giving them an alternative. Yeah. I think he knows he doesn't know what he's doing. <laughs> because he keeps taking her to places yeah. trying to get help yeah. with her. He keeps yeah. going to different he people constantly. He's like, please, somebody fucking help me. Vesemir, Triss, anybody. We're, we're giving Geralt a hard time, but he doesn't have the tools to be a parent himself. Yeah. So, being a, being a witcher in my eyes, the way he's approaching it is a lot like boomer parents talking about smoking. Okay. Like back in the day, it was like fucking awesome, but like you shouldn't do it; it's bad for you. <laughs> but it was so cool, and everybody who did it was awesome. And I'm like a superhero among witchers, but you know, you shouldn't. Yeah, yeah. yeah. like I look really cool and all, but it, it it's bad for your health. Yeah, that's a really good point. He is saying the lessons he wants her to learn, but he is not embodying them. He is not. He she has not seen him look for peaceful resolutions. And, in fact, she points out that the monsters who are coming for her don't seem to want to hurt her, but Geralt is just murdering them. That is the only thing he knows. And it kind of goes against Geralt's usual character. Yeah. Because in the first season, we see Geralt try not to kill monsters when he can avoid it. And in this season, he's killed at least three monsters who Siri does not necessarily believe we're trying to hurt her. The Chernabog in this episode, Verbena, or uh, Verena, in the episode with... Um, this is the first episode. The Beauty and the Beast episode. Yeah. The Brucia. Um, that could have been the Nivellon. second or third episode, though. <laughs> it's definitely the first one. And the Myriapod in episode three. I think so that's also kind of, like, demonstrating a little bit of the hypocrisy of parenthood sometimes. The mean, mostly meaning, like, sometimes 
someone will have a belief and then once they have a child or something that they're caring for, a lot of those, um, you know, kind of beliefs might go out the window in, in desperate desire to protect their child. And whether or not that uh, is a good idea right. or right is not really the point. I think sometimes people will maintain beliefs until they have children and then be like, whatever, I don't care what I gotta do, you know? <laughs> oh, like, yeah, they completely change. Exactly. Yeah. So we saw in season one, Geralt was like, yeah, I'm always gonna try to find out if there's, like, a deeper meaning to this right. monster and really save it. And, you know, maybe the humans are the bad guys and I'm going to, like, save the monster. It mostly felt like that. And now yeah, he's what like, if man is the real monster? Yeah, now he's like, fuck the monster. I gotta protect this kid. You're and I right. think that's very much <laughs> yeah. something a parent would do is like... That's fair. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's I'm certainly... Hi hypocritical, but yeah. I'm certainly not calling out the writing. I actually think that the writing might be doing something just like that, which is yeah. really good and yeah. accurate. Yeah. 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 I think it's intent... At first, I was like, what the fuck? Because we saw him do it in the first episode, and I was like, this is so uncharacteristic of him. That doesn't make any sense. But as we see it happen over and over again, and I'm starting to realize that, like, wait, I think he might just be doing this because he, his desires to protect this child are now, like, overruling the part of his brain that showed compassion for yeah. anybody else. Yeah, it's always in conjunction with protecting Siri. Yeah. yeah. His convictions go out the window when he thinks his kid might be in trouble. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Guys, I could talk about this episode for a another like double the length of the episode that we actually watched but i think we should probably move on to final thoughts all right i feel like every episode now i'm saying wow this is a big one guys there's so much to talk about we're setting up so many things but the show just keeps Paying off and then building up new story arcs. It just keeps on coming. It just keeps coming at you. With the stories. <laughs> but does anyone have anything else they want to add about this episode and where we are up to this point in season two of The Witcher? <laughs> I was just thinking, so we saw in this uh, episode, Rience, Rince, Reese. Firefucker. Firefucker. Real. Uh, interacting with the woman who initially hired him. Lydia. Lydia, who... Um, I was trying, I'm sorry. I was thinking of lather, rinse, repeat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Lydia, rinse, repeat. Uh, Lydia, who um, had said before that she doesn't work for the White Flame and she works for somebody else. Right. I I think a mage, probably. And uh, Seems like it. It just kind of, like, I guess clicked for me that... It's probably Stregobor, because if there's anything we know about Stregobor, he hates prophesied powerful women. <laughs> and he hates fire magic. And he hates fire magic. He hates... Well, then why would he hire Rince? Then, yeah. yeah, but Rince probably used to work for that mage that he helped take down and who took out his hands. Possibly. Oh, and that's how he knows about him. Wow. And he's breaking him out because, like, if anything goes south, he can just condemn Rince and yeah, like, classic Stregobor. Remove Fal himself from it and just like say that it's all him. Was was it Falca? Was that her name? I think so. Yeah. The 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 princess who uh, Falca. Yes. Fal I think it was Falca. The princess who burnt Stregobor's hands. Yeah. Do you think that Rince is a <laughs> scapegoat? Basically, <laughs> that uh, Rince worked for Falca, possibly, and uh, that's why he's in jail, and that's why Stregobor would even know who he is. And so that's why he hired him. 
And I think... He's an easy scapegoat. Yeah, and I think, well, I know, Stregobor hates prophesied princesses with power. No, hold on. <laughs> Let's be honest. Stregobor just hates women. Yeah, but especially well, hates prophesied princesses sure, sure. with power because yeah. that's a lot of power. Yeah. And he has gone out of his way to kill them before, and I uh, wouldn't put it past him to be aware of the prophecy and be aware of Cirilla and be wanting to probably kill her like he tries yeah. to do with all of them. It would be a classic Stregobor move. Yeah. I'll tell you what I like about Rience, though. His face has been mutilated. It's been burned. Hasn't taken away his smile. Not one bit. <laughs> Listen, the guy's a complete scumbag, but he loves his job. He's and having, I gotta respect it. He's having the most fun in the whole series of any character. He keeps getting flames shot back at him, though. It's not very good at his job. No, he kind of sucks. Yeah. He, he makes a lot of fun. He's been in jail, not able to use his magic for over ten years. Probably a really long time. Um, <laughs> so he's like trying to get his uh, his power back, trying to get his groove back. He has a very strange way of portaling to it. He like gets sucked into a black void. Yeah. <laughs> rather than a, a nice shimmering, <laughs> spinning vortex. Well, I mean, we we we're um, being <laughs> both we <are> ha- horrific. <laughs> <laughs> we haven't reiterated in this episode that fire mages are like outlaws right. and kind of work with a different magical system. Like necromancers are. I think it's funny, too, because despite being an outlaw, he is, like, absolutely not discreet. He no, just not even a little goes bit. goes in guns a-blazing to everything, and so guns far... Guns a-blazing, Oh, huh? yeah. Uh, She's and, very hot-headed. Yeah. So mm-hmm. far, a lot of his plots have been foiled, and I'm like, I don't know, maybe, like, a little discretion goes a long way, chief. Wh- would <laughs> like, you say that they've burned out? Uh, other people <laughs> have tried to stifle his creativity. I don't know if it's his creativity. I don't even know if it's other people. <laughs> I think it's all him. <laughs> He's just shitty. He just sucks. <laughs> yeah. I like him. Yeah. You just like his smile. Yes. So one other thing I wanted to mention, I just wanted to delve a little deeper into the phenomenon of the monsters seeking out Siri for some purpose, not actually seeking to harm her, they are looking for her. They don't really want to capture her. They seem to want to ally with her. Or at least touch her. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. She the- is the daughter of Chaos. She's a warrior created by the elves. Monsters were brought in at the last the last time the spheres touched. Yep. A lot of <laughs> touching. Humans tried to weaponize monsters. Human mages did. The elves retaliated by creating a genetic warrior, probably who could weaponize monsters themselves. The monsters, I'm thinking, are seeking out Siri because she's like a beacon for them. Yes. Well, she's a ge- genetic warrior. Yeah. <laughs> and um, They're pledging they- their fealty to her? Yes, I think that she has the capability to control mm. them. Whoa. And you think that that was when they said, we are going to create a warrior who is capable of doing... Of destroying dest- humans. Yeah, <laughs> it's uh, probably a, uh, an elven warrior who is capable of wiping out people by controlling the monsters. I mean, yes. she can also just pop off her crazy magic power. Because think of what sh- her power can really do. Yeah. When sh- it's at its base level, instinctual level, and she screams... 
she opens the portals True. Yeah. for the monsters to come through. Fuck. it's true and you may recall that humans are quoted uh for stealing chaos from the elves right and what did the early mages do but make armies of monsters control monsters and as we learned in the last episode it is believed that the witchers are the only reason that humanity was able to survive that's right so it's like when you send in the bear to fight the tiger in your house yeah. What no. do you send in to fight the bear? It's a real old Siri. lady who uh, <laughs> swallowed a fly conundrum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Alright, and I just want to say, I mean, there's so many plots that we've been following, but for me, the next uh, story that Esmeralda, the cat, is a part of, that's what I'm really the most excited for. Can't wait to know what her motivations are, what role she has to play <laughs> in the prophecy. Right. You know, are there feline prophecies, or do those get tied up with all the others? Like, is she the most powerful entity we've seen up to this point? She's obviously an epic-level cat. She's probably a magical cat. Yeah, I mean, look at those ear tufts. We're getting dangerously close to Jellicle cat territory. (laughs) Well, on that note, I think that will do it for us here at Swords and Satire. (laughs) As always, we'd like to thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the show... Maybe consider following us on social media at Swords and Satire on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter so you can keep up with what we're watching, check out our memes, and let us know your thoughts about anything we talk about. And like we said before in our shameless plug at the beginning of the episode. Oh, I'm filled with shame over that plug. If you'd like to be a supporter of the show and you have the means, you could head over to patreon.com slash swords and satire join one of our tiers join our patron community and uh get some cool perks in return if you don't remember what those are you can go there and find out explore a little discover it's like an open world game where you want to like go to every corner of the map to find all the collectibles yeah makes a lot of sense to me but if you don't have a few extra coins to toss the way of your favorite podcasters, another great way to support the show, tell your friends and family about it. You know, if you show them the media that we watch, you can all listen to the episodes together. The best way to enjoy the things you like is with the people you like. Come on now. That's why we make the show. I was going to say, it's what we do. Yeah. yeah. We watch the show together and then we record this together. And thank you, Casey, for joining us again. Woo! It's always fun to have you on Love the show. It. And uh, you always add to our conversations. I get so excited to talk about this shit. Yeah. <laughs> this is like my one chance to really delve deep with uh, <laughs> my fellow nerdy pals. Yes. That's the other thing we do Fantasy here is nerds. delving deep. Yeah. <laughs> Chelsea, why don't you tell the listeners what we're doing next week? Next week, it'll be a patron-voted episode for Science Fantasy-themed month. And if you were listening last week to our episode on Dune, uh, you may have already signed on as a patron and voted. So we'll see what you voted. All right. Well, until then, Hail Hail Crom. Crom!